Welcome to Understanding the Bible with Pastor Stephen. This is episode 32, Perspectives on the Old Testament. So to start off, I just want to emphasize that God is love. One of the perspectives that we get wrong all the time is that God does not send anyone to hell. We are condemned because of our sin nature, and God offers us a way out. It's our choice to accept it or not. So God loves you. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Basically, everyone's going to hell because of our sin nature. And because Jesus loves us, because God loves us, because God loves you, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to accept the penalty, death, for your sins and for my sins. God is the one that offers us an escape from hell. He's reaching his hand out and saying, hey, you don't have to go. So that should be at the forefront of our minds when it comes to perspectives on the Bible. God loves you. Oftentimes our perspective on the Bible in the Old Testament is simply wrong. So I liken it to a child versus a parent. Kid wants ice cream for every meal. We know that it'll give them cavities. You need to brush your teeth. You'll lack nutrition. You need to eat healthy, right? So when a parent says, no, you can't have ice cream, the perspective of the child is, oh my goodness, my, my parent hates me. They're not letting me have what I want. The alternate perspective is, no, the parent cares about you, doesn't want you to have a mouthful of cavities, and wants you to grow up and be healthy. We should not be ticked off at God the Father for his perspective. His perspective is coming from the creator, the one who loves us. So one of the things we often are off about is our starting point on who God is. A lot of people come from the false perspective that God is out to get me, or the Bible is full of a list of do's and don'ts, or God's going to send me to hell, or some other fire and brimstone narrative instead of the reality that, no, God created you and he loves you and wants a relationship with you. So that beginning, that basis or foundation for our belief in the God of the Bible is oftentimes wrong. So then we also have a lot of Christians will discount the Old Testament. A lot of uh, secular people will pull something out of the book of Leviticus or some other book in the Old Testament and say, see, your God is terrible. He did terrible things, right? Because the Old Testament was full of judgment and death and harsh laws where the penalty was stoning to death and things like that. It's full of the wrath of God, right? So the wrong view is that that was the Old Testament God, but the New Testament God is just a God of love and grace. They're different gods. First of all, God has not changed. He just gave our punishment, his wrath and fire and brimstone from the Old Testament to his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. All that to say, a lot of big words there, right? Redemption, propitiation, righteousness, remission of sins, forbearance. All that to basically say Jesus Christ took his sins, took our sins on himself 
on the cross. And because he paid those harsh penalties for us, literally bled and died, took the full wrath of God and God's judgment on himself, we can be declared righteous if we believe in Jesus. We just have to accept that he paid that judgment for us. And then Colossians 2.13 says, And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances, or laws, that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. God nailed our trespasses to the cross with Jesus Christ, and that was the penalty. We don't have to take the penalty. So the right view of the God of the Old Testament versus the New Testament is that God is a God of true justice and all sin has to be paid for. It's just in the New Testament, he paid the price for us. All right. And then another thing that we get wrong is people have the wrong perspective on the deaths in the Old Testament. And here's a big one. And this really does frustrate a lot of people trying to figure it out. God frequently ordered the death of entire cities to include women and children. So here's an example of a couple of them. First Samuel 15, verse two and three. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and women, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. And that's pretty harsh kill the women and children, right? But this is a perspective that we've only started to have in recent years because warfare since the beginning of time until the first Gulf War in the late 1980s was always about waging war against civilian populations and destroying everybody, killing as many people as you can until the government or the nation gave up. There was nothing new this go and smite them all, men, women, and children. It was nothing new. It's something we, even Americans, have done. Look at uh, World War One, World War Two, Tokyo. We firebombed entire cities, killing over 100,000 people with fire, white phosphorus, Hiroshima, Nagasaki. The death toll of civilian, innocent people has always been viewed as normal warfare until recent times in the last 40 years. The first Gulf War is where Americans, for the first time that I'm aware of, in mass only targeted military personnel. And we accepted the surrender of any civilian. And we made sure not to kill women and children. Precise targeting of buildings and people and holding our fire when civilians came into view. That was a new thing for this generation only. You've got to understand that this idea of warfare in the Old Testament is something that even your fathers and grandfathers believed in and did. Our generation since the 1980s is the first time in the history of mankind that we don't target women and children. That's Think about that. That's pretty odd, isn't it? Just on the face of it, God saying kill everybody in the city is not bad. All right. And then you have another point here, just the reality of economics. If you didn't kill the women and children, 
if the Israelites went in and only targeted the warfaring men, right? Not the old women and not the young women and the children and the babies. After they defeated the city, how would they care for tens of thousands of women and children political prisoners who would then resent them for the rest of their lives and grow up to fight you again? You would have a never-ending warfare versus this single death and destruction of the city at the beginning. What's more humane, an eternal blood feud or just destroying the city at once? Look at the Israelis today with the Muslims. Every day, bombings and destruction in different Muslim countries saying, death to Israel and all the things that they do, teaching their kids to slit the throats of their uh, stuffed animals and their little dolls and things like that. Like, literally, this is a blood feud that goes back centuries. Whereas if the Israelis had just killed those nations at the beginning, you would not have this continual death and destruction now. So there you have, a, I guess, just the basic reality of, of what's worse. Killing a thousand people now or killing a thousand people every 20 years for the rest of time? Well, obviously, it makes more sense to only have to kill a thousand people one time, right? So that would just be the reality of war. You can't care for people. You can't let them grow up and fight you again. You can't continue the cycle of blood and death over and over and over again. So it makes more sense. It's more humane for God to say, wipe out the whole city. The last point in here, which uh, the Bible actually touches on, is that the evil in those societies that were destroyed demanded that those societies die. That could not happen if you left the women and elderly to teach the children about their culture and their fathers. Because then those children would grow up and they would organize and fight back, right? To try and avenge their father's deaths. So it made perfect sense to actually destroy the entire cities. Deuteronomy 20, 17 says, But thou shalt utterly destroy them, namely the Hittites and the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, as the Lord thy God has commanded thee, that they teach you not to do after all their abominations, which they have done unto their gods so should you sin against the Lord your God. When you besiege a city a long time in making war again against it to take it, thou shalt not destroy the trees thereof by forcing an axe against them, for thou mayest eat of them. And thou shalt not cut them down, for the tree of the field is man's life, to employ them in the siege. Only the trees which thou knowest that they may be not trees for food, thou shalt destroy and cut them down. And thou shalt build bulwarks against the city that maketh war with thee until it is subdued. So just a basic point there that God was actually about growth and life and promoting the building of cities and, and culture, even to the point of preserve trees that provide fruit to eat. Go back to verse 18, it said, Thou shalt, that they teach you not to do after all their abominations. So these cities, these people were well known for practicing such things as child sacrifice to their false gods incest, adultery, temple prostitution. I mean, that that's a pretty bad society. So unlike us, God knows the future. God knew what the results would be if Israel did not completely eradicate these people. So you have to understand a lot of things that fall into that. But here's a very simple explanation, Deuteronomy 9.4. Speak not you in your heart, after that the Lord thy God has cast them out from before you, saying, Because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. So he's speaking to Israel. 
but it is for the wickedness of these nations that the Lord does drive them out from before you. So the right view of this particular Old Testament topic is that evil cultures need to be punished. And God ended the cycle of death and war by eradicating the entire cities. All right, here's another one uh, that people get wrong all the time in the Old Testament. Here's the wrong view. The Bible treated women as property and had the disgusting practice of letting parents watch a bride having sex for the first time to prove she was a virgin by them being able to see her hymen being broken in blood from the first time she had sex. That is incorrect. Deuteronomy 22:13 is where they get this from. If any man take a wife and go on unto her and hate her and give occasions of speech against her and bring up an evil name upon her and say, I married this woman and when I came to her, I found her not a virgin. Then shall the father of the damsel and her mother take and bring forth the tokens of the damsel's virginity unto the elders of the city in the gate. And the damsel's father shall say unto the elders, I gave my daughter unto this man to wife and he hated her. And lo, he has given occasions of speech against her, saying, I found not thy daughter a virgin, and yet these are the tokens of my daughter's virginity. And they shall spread the cloth, that's the marital bed sheets, basically showing the blood still on it, before the elders of the city. And the elders of that city shall take that man and chastise him, and they shall cost him a hundred shekels of silver and give them to the father of the damsel, because he has brought up an evil name upon a virgin of Israel. And she shall be his wife, and he may not put her away all his days." But if this thing be true, and the tokens of virginity be not found for the damsel, then they shall bring out the damsel to the door of her father's house, and the men of her city shall stone her with stones, that she die, because she hath wrought folly in Israel to play the whore in her father's house. So shalt thou put evil away from you. So number one, culture at that time trusted the man. Women had no rights. And I'm not talking just Israel. I'm talking the whole world. So this rule, this law, it, for the Jews, required a man to prove the charges against a woman for the first time ever, counter to culture. What, he, I, have, I have to prove that I'm right and the woman's wrong? You should take my word for it, was the idea at that time. And this is saying, no, no, you can't falsely accuse a woman and get away with it. You need proof. So this allowed the parents of the woman to keep the marital bed sheets as proof in case the man lied about their daughter. Not that they watched, but after that night, they would maybe change the bed sheets and keep those bed sheets as evidence that their daughter was a virgin. Because back in the day, that was an important thing. That was like the, the sole honor for the whole family that they produced this woman that was a virgin that could help you know, their family and, and improve their lot in society and I, I, all those other things that go on with that back in those days when parents gave away a woman for a dowry and things like that. So this actually went against culture. It provided a means to protect the woman from being murdered just because the guy didn't like her. Notice the very beginning of that law says, if any man take a wife and go in unto her and hate her and give occasions of speech against her and lie about her. So this was to protect the woman. It was not a law that parents got to watch their kids have sex. That's not what that was. This was about women being equal in the eyes of the law and God protecting women from false accusations. So the right view is the Bible 
and Jewish culture were the first society to recognize that women had rights and to defend women in a court of law as human beings with basic human rights. Very telling that every society that allows the Bible to be used has eventually given women the same rights as men. Every society in the world today that prevents the preaching of the Bible currently prevents women from having the same abilities or rights as men. Women can't drive in Muslim countries. Women can't vote. Women can be beaten, etc. All right, so that goes into another wrong view that people have about the Old Testament. A lot of times I've actually heard this. I don't know if you have or not, but you might find it online in some chat rooms or what have you. But people think that the Bible says in the Old Testament in Leviticus that God allows men to beat their wives as long as it's with a stick that is no bigger than your thumb. Well, number one, it's not in the Bible anywhere that I can find. The Bible teaches love, respect, and equality of women. Proverbs 31 talks about how a virtuous woman, in verse 24, makes fine linen and sells it, so has a job, uh, actually has a business, right? Delivers girls unto the merchants, strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, so saying that women can be wise and you should listen to them. And in her tongue is the law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household and eateth not the bread of idleness. Her children arise up and call her blessed and her husband also, and he praises her. And he praises her, right? So this is a very important. Um, Proverbs 31 is commonly referred to because it shows what type of woman is a godly woman. And it's one who is able to take care of her house can manage a business, which, oh my goodness, when this was written, Proverbs, like BC, that was insane to have the idea that a woman could run a business. But it says her children will rise up and call her blessed and her husband also, and he praises her. So teaching equality of women, the respect of women, that a husband would look up to her and praise her for the things that she does openly in public, in the markets, in the gates of the cities with the elders. Read the whole Proverbs 31. It's an amazing teaching of how women are equal to men. And then in the New Testament, Ephesians 5, verse 25 to 27, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle in any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. If the Bible taught beating of your wife, wouldn't bruises be blemishes? Like, come on. Nowhere in the Bible does it allow men to beat their wife. So a lot of Old Testament um, perspectives that we see in modern days is just flat out wrong for many reasons. But another one is the wrong view that God didn't let Jews eat certain animals and then changed his mind in the New Testament. So Leviticus 11 talks about which animals are unclean and they cannot eat. Acts 10 talks about Peter's vision with the cloth lowered and all the animals in it. And God said, rise and eat. Don't call anything that I've given you unclean. So now there's no, he did away with that law, right? So potentially this was for health reasons. Daniel 1 uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to eat the king's meat and wine, and they were healthier than all the other slaves after only 10 days. So it could very well be for health reasons. 
It could also have merely been to separate themselves from non-believers, similar to circumcision. It's an outward sign of their dedication to God. The right view of this change from the Old Testament to the New Testament is the law was given to show that we cannot be perfect. Romans 3.20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now... The righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. When we don't understand the Bible, we need to fix our perspective. Possibly, we simply don't understand the reason behind what the Bible says. Possibly, our perspective is wrong because we believe something wrong about God, such as, Um, well, God killed people, so he's bad. Or God hates us. He's looking for ways to trip us up. He's waiting for us to fail. God is actually evil. You're worshiping a bad God. Our perspective is flat out wrong about who God is. We need to grow beyond the child-parent perspective like I talked about with the ice cream, all right? Frequently, we are as children in our lack of knowledge and understanding. We need to realize this and attempt to grow. We simply don't know everything about God, just like a child doesn't know everything about protein and nutrients and vitamins and cavities, right? You just don't know. So 1 Peter 2, 2 says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. It's great when you have questions about the Bible, but you have to understand that that's, it might be because you're a baby. You just don't know enough about the Bible. Isaiah 55, 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. Sometimes we simply can't understand God because he's God and we're human. We need to grow up and learn. As children get older and learn about nutrition and eventually have children of their own, they learn that they need meat, protein, vitamins, a healthy diet. They need exercise. They need to grow. They need to brush their teeth, right? Same thing with Christians. As we grow in our knowledge, we need to understand that we need more knowledge about God and understanding for the purpose of becoming more like him. Hebrews 5.12 says, For when for the time you should have been teachers, you have need that someone teaches you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. You can't handle a steak yet. You just need milk, the milk of the word, right? Verse 13, for everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is merely a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. We need to become disciples and fix our perspective and understand more about God. When we're confused or unsure about something the Bible says, look for the truth. Ask questions. Seek to learn. Proverbs 1.5 A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. Until next time, God bless you.